Thor continued to regard London with his brilliant black eyes. He had moved a little closer to the wall so that he could rest his head against it as he smoked. I think, senor, that I have seen you before. I don't think so, Landon said. The rag stirred slightly as though the man was shrugging his shoulders where he lay. Perhaps not. It is of no importance. As you say, it is of no importance. And yet I should have said that I had seen you with Pedro Gonzales. You are mistaken. I know no Pedro Gonzales, Landon said harshly. Then of course I am mistaken. No matter. The senor is Americano? No, English. Ah, and no doubt the senor comes to Santa Ana for holiday? <laughs> for pleasure, perhaps? The heap of rags shook with subdued laughter. Landon did not share the joke. He stared bleakly at the opposite wall and made no answer. The man on the floor watched him through a thin haze of smoke, perhaps trying to weigh up this fair-haired, stocky Englishman with the broad shoulders and bony face, cold blue eyes, and mouth that was like the gash of a knife. Cruel? Perhaps. Ruthless? Most probably. Used to giving orders? Without doubt. Life is hard, senor, the man on the floor sighed gustily. One day we are free men, the next we are in jail, shut in by four walls and a barred door. Life is very hard. Landon did not answer. The man continued to puff at his cigarette. When he had finished it, he stretched, yawned, gathered his rags about him, and went to sleep. Landon remained standing. There was nothing to sit on except the floor, and that, having so obviously been used for the relief of nature, did not attract him. He made a movement as though to look at his wristwatch, but then remembered that the police had taken it. It was a good Swiss watch, self-winding, waterproof, the most valuable thing he possessed. It had accompanied him through the war, been with him in good fortune and in bad. It was like a friend, and he would be sorry to lose it. He supposed the chances of getting it back were slender. About an hour later, the key grated once again in the lock, and the prison door swung open. The policeman who had shut Landon in stood in the doorway. Captain Garcia is ready to interrogate you. You will come with me. They walked down a short corridor and into a large, untidy room littered with official-looking files, ledgers, and loose papers. Behind a desk, seated in a swivel chair and facing the door, was a short, stout, bald-headed man with a thin white scar crossing his forehead horizontally and passing back behind each ear, as though at some time in the past someone had been stopped in the act of scalping him. A series of heavy chins folding over the collar of a khaki tunic were black, with the sproutings of a new beard, although it was evident from traces of lather under the left ear that he had shaved quite recently. Behind him was a large window opening onto a kind of courtyard enclosed by the buildings of the police station. The light threw a fat shadow of Captain Garcia onto the desk in front of him. Your name is Landon, Harvey Landon, is that correct? Yes. Landon saw that lying on the desk were the personal belongings that the police had taken from him, 
his watch, his wallet, a few coins, a ballpoint pen, a pocket knife, his passport. He wondered why they had left him his cigarettes. Perhaps they were not altogether inhuman, or perhaps it was merely carelessness. Captain Garcia leaned back in his chair and crossed one short, plump leg over the other. He did not invite Landon to sit down. His voice was soft. It seemed to escape from the thick, rather moist lips, like a little rush of steam, without any assistance from the man himself. I should like to know why you came to the Central Republic. You will tell me, please. I came because I wished to. Naturally, I did not suppose that you had been forced to come. Garcia's eyes peered sleepily at Landon from puffy eyelids. He looked as if he had spent a sleepless night, perhaps many sleepless nights. He gave the impression of performing a wearisome task.